0: Welcome to Business Talk Sister Gok. I'm Becca. And today's podcast episode topic is how to get paid to teach entrepreneurship internationally. And this is part two of the series. So if you missed the first episode, 152, go back. This is 153. All right, so in the last episode, we covered a lot about preparing for um, getting an opportunity to teach so that you can start building your data and your portfolio. And now, it, bef- I didn't mention this before, but by the way, another opportunity, uh, if you want to teach locally in your area for free and just do kind of like Chamber of Commerce presentations or whatever, just to get some stuff under your belt, that's good practice. And then people can ask you questions and all of that. So teaching locally is good. It's it's okay to do just to be able to work on Uh, your content, what kind of portfolio options of things you can teach on and about. That's why I have the podcast. And and, in the podcast too, by the way, if you're ever looking to to do one, you can start one for free on Anchor and load your content there. I mean, they put ads and stuff in front of your your thing and, and whatever, but... If that's a low risk way to get into it, it's not the best audio quality doing it on your phone, but you know, it's a good way to start. And quite honestly, I've taken some interviews on my phone before, so. (laughs) Okay, so in preparing the content that you want to teach, you have to be versatile in having a broad audience, but make it target market specific. You gotta keep that in mind. And for me, I know because, and, and for you too, it should be content for entrepreneurship, right? And I know my listeners keep popping up in all these different places of the world. But the reality is, entrepreneurship is kind of a universal language in a lot of ways. These are the people that are constantly think about learning and growing. They are looking for ways to make money. They're trying new things. They want to be somebody that takes risks someday. They have an idea. Or, or they're seeing other people and maybe they don't have an idea for themselves, but they really could come alongside somebody that does and that's a really great co-founder. Anyway, so that's part of the target market that I have and if you notice, um, after you've really started teaching about business and you've done it for a while, when you go to build a presentation for an audience that you've never met before, it may seem a little bit overwhelming. So how do you get down to something that anyone can learn from? Well, what I did and what I would recommend you do is build an outline first. And if you're not sure where to start, look at other people's content and condense it, condense it, condense it down until it's one word per slide. And then from there, you can build it out in the way that you think is best in, in what you know how to teach. And I would say with that being said, look at more than one person's content so you're not just getting their exact presentation. You know what I'm saying? It's got to be yours. And and if you're pretty creative, I think I think you'll get the hang of it. So in teaching internationally, I realized that the market and the industry in one place may be super oversaturated, but completely untouched in other areas and simplistic content can always be expanded on okay so start simple and then if people have questions or if you want to elaborate with stories that's when you start filling it in with the color that it needs to make it your own and I would say honestly um, in the United States like we have so much content English content in general in the world and when i was reading uh 1 million followers by brendan kane he actually reaffirmed my suspicions of this right so there's so much content in english that it's oversaturated to the point that it's really hard to stand out but at the same time you have access to so many resources if you want to learn something new and you can speak English. And I pre actually talked about that in the first episode in this series. She said when she learned English, it opened so many doors for her to being able to apply to be a um, international student for high school and then get a scholarship to college and all of that it was really abilities to learn online and teach yourself new skills all of that came from learning English now that means that the English content is so saturated so if you're creating content in English just even like this podcast for example um, it's going to be hard to stand out from other people and so I I love that book by 1 million followers, by the way, because I thought about something so interesting that Brendan came brought up that I never thought about before. Other cultures are highly shareable in social media content. And also, if you teach in other languages, it brings up so much opportunity for uh, because there's not a lot of content created in that. And so I realized, man, I really got to start thinking about A different language than English if I'm gonna go teach internationally. I can't go to another English-speaking country. I can probably find a translator, so let me just figure out how I'm going to pick what I want." And what I realized is one of the fastest-growing language groups is Arabic. So, uh, there's approximately 300 to 400 million Arabic speakers in the world. Now, classical Arabic is something Everyone is supposed to learn in school if they're from an Arab country. So, side note, the Hollywood of Arabic movies is like Egypt and I totally want to go there. But anyways, okay, so it's on my radar. And this is the exact reason I was so, so excited that Rama accepted me to do an interview with her from Little Thinking Minds. Because what an amazing opportunity to learn more from someone who literally is in the language space that I picked and is going to know a lot about that target market, right? So that was super fun. Now, when I started looking at this aspect of what's been untouched, and again, a good reminder for me of this was when I spoke with some women in one of the classes that I taught. I learned that many of them had never considered putting their business on the internet. To grow awareness for the products that they had available and some of them had never even considered possibly teaching a skill or working remotely or even the concept of being paid via a digital transaction was relatively new and they'd never tried it so there are honestly many places in the world where this is true and if you're listening to this podcast right now and you're in one of those places you have a massive technological competitive advantage at your fingertips. You do right now because you are consuming something that most people in your area do not have access to. And even translating concepts into your language and teaching it is an opportunity because I'm willing to bet there's not as many people producing content consistently and teaching at the same rate that there are in English as your language maybe Spanish. I will put it out there that maybe there's a lot of content in Spanish. I've not researched that, so side note. (laughs) Don't, Don't come after me. Okay, so when you're preparing the content that you have selected, you've condensed it down, now you're expanding it again, putting in your stories, making it applicable to your audience. Really, it's important to know a little bit about what's going on with your audience. So I was very, very thankful. And I had two different audiences that I presented to. One was local people and one was uh, all refugees and so very different background context very different life experiences and very different access to resources so i had to try to think through how i could change what i was saying to apply to the group that i was presenting to so asking your host or whoever invited you more questions to get a good handle on who your audience is going to be and what their circumstances are like is really really going to be helpful to being able to speak to how they can do things as an entrepreneur. And one of the things I wish I would have prepared far more for mentally in in doing these presentations. And honestly, like the fact that I was gonna do it for free, I wasn't asking for money from the nonprofit or anything. Um I, I felt a lot more um relaxed and less anxious about it, <laughs> to be honest. But um you have to really know like this is true for all entrepreneur presentations I've ever done in the United States, in other countries, whatever, there's only 10% or less of the people that you're speaking to that are actually going to do something with the information that you're presenting, right? And when you talk about gathering data and all of that, really let that sink in. Less than 10% will actually do something with what you're going to tell them. And that's okay look for signs of that 10% and how they ask questions and want to share with you about their business idea or what they're working on right now. And and you should get excited if you see more than 10% because that's rare. and And I do want to call that out because a lot of times you're hoping like you're going to change lives, blah, blah, blah. Well, No, you're going to do one presentation and yes, maybe a piece of it will be applied later on, but it's going to take a long time to see the data. And then you also need to make sure that you prepare content with or review the content that your partnering organization is going to follow up with. Because if you just do one presentation and you're done and you never come back, You're not going to see a lot of further development. You have to make sure that the organization that you're partnering with is going to do the follow-up. Or honestly, if you're going to build your proposal to do all the follow-up yourself and you want to live there, then great, do it. Um, But you have to make sure there's some kind of follow-up happening with your participants you have to have somebody checking in saying, how's it going? What are you working on? Where are you getting stuck? All that kind of stuff. And and if they reach out to you, like I have somebody that I met that reaches out to me on Instagram. He sends me pictures of his uh, progress so far and says, this is what I made today. Here's my website. This is the product, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, great, keep going, keep going. And then I'll give him a couple edits on on his website and say, hey, you missed the English spelling of this here. I would make sure that you're on point with that. Don't forget to use articles. Oh my goodness. <laughs> International speakers of English a lot of times miss the and an and uh as articles in the English language when they're talking or when they're writing. So, um, pro tip if you're ever gonna talk about that in your presentation, that's a good one to put in there and you don't have to quote me. Okay, so then, um, Preparing content to teach, with that being said, it may catch you off guard these other ideologies and I really, really, really wish I would have known more about this and I'm so thankful that I learned from some really valuable teachers while I was visiting that actually taught me so much more about something that I see all the time and I didn't know how to put my finger on it. And as they're like, yeah, we, we do this every day and this is what we're seeing and this is what is consistent with what other people in other countries are seeing. We network with other organizations and we've come together and these are some really valuable things to take out. I was I was mind blown, okay, so I did not come up with these, but they are so common everywhere in the world, regardless of who you are and what you're doing, if you're talking about business these three mindsets will come up, okay? And I wish I would have known that sooner so I could call them out because I really think it's valuable to hold your audience accountable to them and be aware of them, mindful of them, and knowing how to work through them, okay? So there are three kinds of poverty. There are three poverty from circumstances beyond your control so this happens because an apartheid or genocide civil war famine epidemics this is hard this is so hard and if this happens to you or if it happened to any of the people that you're trying to educate it impacted their life or their business or both and and it hurts and that's something you need to weep with them over Because it is so hurtful. And I cannot imagine the depth of grief and loss in that. Because it's going to be so deep for each person that has to experience that. So there's that piece of it. And there needs to be healing from that. And then two, poverty of hopelessness. And poverty of hopelessness is something that is commonly coupled either with or right after poverty from circumstances beyond your control. And the poverty of hopelessness is, it could be something like having a friend, you watch them grow and grow and grow and their business gets taken away from them due to political corruption because people see, oh, they're they're successful, we're going to try to tax them or make them have all these roadblocks so that they bribe us to the point where they're not profitable anymore and they just shut down or legal red tape and rules that intentionally stifle competition to, to block out anybody else from from being successful than the one that they have a deal with or connection with and they're getting paid off from or um, regulations that limit your access to resources. That That stuff, that's poverty from circumstances beyond your control, right? But when you see it happening to other people, it makes you feel like you can't try yourself and it's hopeless. And when you see how how hard someone else is working and how institutions or people can easily take it all away, it makes you feel like, why should I even try? And another example of this, this is the flip, okay? And I see this everywhere in the world. It is not specific to one culture. This is an example of intense social pressure to be responsible for everyone else's problems when you try to be a business owner. And when you see other people go through it or you fear it for yourself, it creates a poverty of hopelessness. And this is what I'm saying. Okay, but Becca, if I become successful, Everyone else will see my success and expect me to help them and do things for them. And it will either put me out of business in meeting their expectations or make me a social outcast from my community because I refuse to give more than I have. And that is succinctly the core I tried to lay it out like in a specific statement of what I hear because it's kind of mixed in there with a lot of other things a lot of times but but that's the core of it when people are forced to be emotionally exhausted to go against their own cultural norms in this specific area it is so hard if they can't have the stamina to do it and that That creates a sense of hopelessness. Like there's no point in me trying because if I do better than my cousin or my aunties or whatever, they're going to come and say, well, you are doing all this stuff. I want that. And, And I'm not joking you. I literally saw this with my own eyes. One individual I saw working a 14 hour shift and a customer coming in. And the customer said to the employee, hey, I saw you here this morning too. You make must be making so much money all the time and you just don't have time to spend it. Can you give me some? I need some too. That is such a divisive, unfortunate cultural norm in many parts of the world where if somebody who's working hard is expected to support everyone else. And also there's this social aspect of why do you think you're so good? Are you better than us, Are you better than me, and social outcastness that goes with it um, that's real it's there if you're going through it or you're feeling like you're afraid to start something because that might happen to you I get it and honestly like here's an example I, I talked to this company a long time ago they create solar panels with phone charging stations and they had this um, you could get like a almost like a, a freight truck of charging stations and like all these cords and whatever. And what they were doing is they were allowing entrepreneurs to buy the equipment on financing that they supplied and bring this back to like places in in Africa in the middle of the desert. And they would charge people uh, a couple cents per hour or whatever kilowatt, whatever it was, to charge their phones. And so people from the village would come out and they would charge their phone. Now, this is what they learned. The only successful entrepreneurs were people who were from outside the boundaries of the culture itself and social acceptability because you have people coming up saying, oh, well, you know me, like I'm your cousin or I'm I'm this and I'll pay you tomorrow or whatever to the point that the person who was the business owner couldn't say no and didn't have the ability to endure and so what was happening is they were letting people do it for free and then they weren't making their payments on the entire outfit that they just financed and they ended up having their equipment repossessed. And they said, yeah, you know who is doing well? Is the immigrant that went to that community and is not part of the culture but knows that there's opportunity to make money because they're not giving out these special favors and they're saying, no, you pay me today. You don't pay me, you don't get your phone back. Like all this kind of stuff. And and if you don't have that kind of like stamina, <laughs> To be able to endure that, it does kind of perpetuate this similar aspect of a, of a poverty of hopelessness. There's no point in trying. And this is this honestly is actually why it's been statistically something of a phenomenon within entrepreneurs that people who have disabilities or are socially awkward. Um, they actually can be really successful entrepreneurs because they have faced a lot of social rejection early in life and they have far less risk to fail if they decide to not be accepted socially and they have far less emotional turmoil over it and they end up coming up with great ideas, taking risks, trying new things. That's much easier for them to do emotionally than their socially adapted and physically advantaged peers. So just keep that in mind. Like if you are in that space and you're socially awkward or whatever, like, hey, dude, you got an advantage, <laughs> use it. And it's okay to, to not be liked by everyone. If you start a business and say, no, this is what it costs to do business. And if you can't pay that, then you can't have what I'm offering. And I just want to reiterate, that is okay. <laughs> because I know for some of you, that is very emotionally a huge thing. Okay, let me back up before I get to the last form of poverty. I want to note something really important. Okay, there is a huge step in the process of loss and grief and regaining confidence to overcome the poverty of hopelessness and the poverty of circumstances beyond your control. Like it really, like poverty of hopelessness can a lot of times come because of that first one, like you didn't ask for these things. They just happen, right? And, and I really, I'm going to be honest, like when I went to this non-government organization and I was there, I was just a, a little bit critical. They were teaching women how to sew so they could sell what, what they made to make an income. And I was just thinking in my heart, like, well, how are they going to become diversified at, from their competition if they're all selling the exact same thing? And that's just seems like you should really branch out. And I I really chastised myself after they started talking because I realized I am just too fast paced in my advancement in thinking how, how this process goes. Because one of the ladies was able to explain to me like the transformation of watching people go from a complete state of hopelessness and depression to seeing them excited to have actually made something that looks nice and to take pride in their work for the first time in years. And, and that's the point that I realized, getting out of a place of hopelessness is a process. And I, I can't judge the timeline of someone's healing journey and, and because it's, it's different for everybody. And, but But blaming everything on your circumstances and refusing to do anything about it will inevitably lead to poverty and keep you in poverty. So this piece just cannot be ignored. Regardless of where you are and what circumstances you are in through the world, you can't just blame it all on everything else and expect it to get better with doing nothing. And the healing journey doesn't work that way either. And I was able to see that firsthand with how people's confidence in what they did was restored to them because they had opportunities to do something and process the hurt that had happened to them in the past. Okay, so I'm going to move on to the third poverty, which, wow, this anybody is susceptible to this. I mean, all of these for sure, but this is another one. The poverty of pride. And this can be when you're too proud to take on menial jobs to just start making money. This can be when you're too proud to learn after you've started to be successful. And this can be like when you get to a place where you think you're better than everyone else because you've had some sort of success and you can't receive from people who are behind you, in front of you, or with you on the journey. one of the same people, honestly like in the last episode I talked about this person, when I said this is where um, this is where I am pricing myself as a new business and I got laughed at, the person that laughed at me actually was someone that I ended up recently having a renewed relationship with and and ended up doing work alongside in volunteering and, and giving back and and if I would have, been like, no, you snubbed me at the beginning. I'm never gonna talk to you again. It it wouldn't have given me the ability to have a good, valuable relationship with that person today. And it's really important to remain humble um, because people are still trying to figure out you too, and and how to trust you and build relationships like. All of business is built on relationship and keeping your word. And so you shouldn't be so prideful that you don't take advice from people anymore. And sometimes the advice is not valid. <laughs> like the advice is, just doesn't make sense at, to you and your circumstances. Or maybe they don't know the whole context of, of what they're speaking to. But, but the poverty of pride can be seen in refusing to try something else because your dream was crushed when you set out to learn a skill and now you don't have the opportunity to use it. Or this can, and it can be tied with the the poverty of hopelessness in that. And this is something that you have to be flexible and humble in. And I'm not kidding you, when I was traveling, I was able to meet these couple of refugees who had one of them had a supply chain network for grocery store distributions and another one had another business that was in consulting and everything just was completely lost and shut down due to an outbreak of war. But yet here they were ready and willing to learn because they knew if they could just keep preparing and take every opportunity, they would be ready to get up and go again into a new entrepreneurship venture. And honestly, they were humble enough to be able to learn from me. I mean, I'm, I'm there light years beyond what I know how to do in building supply chains and all that kind of stuff. Like, that's amazing. But here they were. And wow. Before I move on, I'm going to go back to... I'm just going to read you the three poverties that you really have to watch out for. And because when people are asking you questions or when you're giving them ideas of how to start a business or whatever, when they start coming back with, yeah, but, or, well, yeah, I don't know about this, whatever, that that's coming from these three areas a lot of the time. Yeah, but this happened to me and so I can't. Yeah, but. There's no point in trying because I don't have this. Or, well, I already am doing this. I don't need to do that. Okay? And here it is. These are the three. And I always listen to podcasts and don't have a pencil. So that's why (laughs) here we're coming back to it. The poverty of circumstances beyond your control. The poverty of hopelessness. And the poverty of pride. And I think it's really important to watch for these in any presentation that you're going to do. Because you are going to get questions that come from these ideologies at the core. And you have to be able to speak to them in a respectful, gracious, and loving way to help people to realize that there is something beyond these things. So that they don't have to live in poverty anymore. And I know that you're going to get pushback because I definitely did. And I know that you might not have the answer to everything because I definitely did not. Somebody was asking me, well, how do we get paid if we can't get a bank account? And then I had to go back and do a whole bunch of research and find out, hey, UNICEF was actually working on this and they created this program, but nobody had known about it yet or whatever. And, And do follow up to make sure, you know what, if that's a blocker for you and it's overwhelming, I'm going to go look into it and see how I can get that out of your way. So that you can feel that you can do something instead of sit in hopelessness. And I totally understand this concept of circumstances beyond your control. And I mean, look at this epidemic that we just had in the United States. It shut down businesses. You weren't even allowed to be open. There's things that can happen that you can't control and things you have to respect that you may not have been planning your livelihood around. I get it. I get it. But you can't stop and say, well, there's no point in trying again or looking for a new path. Okay, so I know I've talked a lot about that, um, but once you finish your presentation and it I would say during the process of of being at the location, whatever, make sure that you're gathering numbers on how many people attended, how you plan to follow up with them and evaluate how they're doing. Make sure that you're taking pictures because that'll be really useful in your portfolio. Um, But always ask permission before you take them, okay? And um, make sure that when you're working with the organization that you're partnering with, that you have a plan for exiting and what that looks like to track their progress while you're gone. All of this information is going to be helpful to writing up a case study. And this should include information with a nonprofit that you worked with, on your experience, etc. So once you've summarized this all in a report and, and you've gathered the data afterwards on how they're doing and maybe you got a quote from a couple of the people that attended the class on like, I was here, this is what I learned, and this is what I did with it. That's great information. So then you're ready to submit this information as part of your portfolio to an organization that you would like to pitch your services to. So identify the organization and make sure that you look at their priorities and see how what you're doing fits into what they're hoping to accomplish with their goals as an organization. This is exactly what Rama was talking about with UNICEF's priorities. Um, Make sure that your portfolio matches the organization's goals and mission. So either that can happen when they open for solicitation in these are the priorities we have, here's who you reach out to, or you can do an un- ask if they do unsolicited bids uh, for projects. And you can say, hey, this is what I've experienced with. Um, do you have an opportunity to have an unsolicited bid? And they'll tell you yes or no. And if they say no, you can say, what is your cycle of funding? And when do you solicit bids? And what does that look like? Who do I get in contact with? So they'll give you all that information. You'll be able to identify where you fit into what they're trying to do. And then when that cycle comes up, that's when you reach out and say, hey, this is what I can do. I do have a request for a proposal that I can review. I'd like to be on your list. And and so you got to get your name out there. So once that happens, and if they say, yeah, we want you to do this, you're going to make a proposal. Now that you have gone, you have an idea of the amount of work it takes to prepare a presentation, teach the content, travel, etc. So you're going to have a proposal cost. And a lot of times when organizations will invite you to give a proposal, they have what is called a RFP or a request for a proposal and in that document it will typically tell you how they want you to lay out your proposal, where where you put your costs together, what kind of information they're looking for you to include, all of that. It's a lot of administrative reading but you need to be able to put your information into the format they're asking for. Now. The first time you do this, it will take you a long time. But once you start getting the feel of how they lay them out, it's not going to be that hard to submit another proposal in the future, especially to the same organization. And typically in the RFP, they will also tell you how they will score your proposal and other people's proposals side by side. So it'll say something like, you get this many points for the cost and you get this many points for Um, this value that we have or whatever and so you'll kind of know how to navigate that based on their scoring metrics if they have that sometimes organizations don't have an RFP and they just say send us a pitch and they'll look it over and vote and decide if that's a good fit and one thing I wanted to note when you are teaching to another Place in the world, and you need a translator or you're working alongside a nonprofit, you also need to budget in your proposal all of their time because they should be compensated for supporting you and making sure that the training goes well, as well as following up with individuals. And if you're going to do all of that, you know how to speak two languages, you know how, whatever, all this different stuff. Um, great, great. You just make sure that you're putting all of that information into the cost of your proposal, okay? And then from there, they'll let you know typically when they're going to decide or choose which proposals buy. And you'll get a letter in the mail, or maybe they'll email you or whatever, and let you know who has been selected, or if you if you did not get selected, they will let you know. And if you didn't get it, that's the time to ask for feedback. And you can say, can you let me know a little bit for next time when I try to submit a proposal? Where was the area that I scored lowest or what were you looking for that I missed? And a lot of times they'll tell you. They'll say, well, quite honestly, you were pretty high in your price point compared to other people or... We just really didn't see how the metrics of what you were tracking lined up with what we were trying to have as our priorities etc so they'll tell you what you can improve on and then you can reapply the next year or the next cycle so there's still opportunities to not don't give up if you if you don't get it on your first try. But it is really important to develop relationships with the people who you are soliciting the contracts from because they'll give you some information. And sometimes they'll say, you know, we really liked your stuff, but it's just really not in this um, bandwidth of budget we have or whatever so hey in the future you might want to check out this round of funding that we're looking for services for or whatever and and they can actually refer you to other things that may be a better fit than what you originally applied for so it's always good to just stay in contact with them or follow up in the future to see if there's any other opportunities that are opening up because a lot of times those funding cycles are really dependent on the grants that they get, or maybe it's like a government organization and it's dependent on what bills get passed, all that kind of stuff. So it's really good to just pay attention to what's new, what's changing, and and keep those relationships. Okay, I'm gonna transition to a very short gawk for this episode because I know it's really long. Okay, so at one of the locations that I was teaching at, there was speed bumps pretty much everywhere we went that they didn't really have a lot of times like a sign but it would just be like a random speed bump to get you to slow down and they're kind of I mean they're they're pavement so like you can't really see them from far away sometimes as they're coming up well we were driving and one of the cars that was driving hit one of the speed bumps like going full speed it was crazy and when that happened the tire on the car bulged out the side like it didn't pop but it made a huge bulge and the the on the way home they had to drive super slow so it took them about twice as long to get home because they were concerned that they didn't want to pop the tire uh, on the way home and honestly, like you would not want to get stranded in the middle of nowhere in in over 100 degree heat. Like it's just not a good idea. And so they were just going creeping along, trying to get where they're going. And thankfully, they got all the way back to a block away from their destination. And suddenly the tire popped. And thankfully, at that point, we were in a pretty busy area where we could go get a tire and get all that figured out. So um, they were able to, to coordinate that, and we and we resolved it. But those are things you might not be thinking about as you prepare for a presentation or travel to another country, and, and they're real things. So it's always important to kind of be aware of what you need as a plan or whatever in case um, you have an emergency or a near emergency because that's no fun if you don't speak the language and everything else. <laughs> Anyways, if you've enjoyed this series on education and starting different kinds of businesses through education, please give it a review on your favorite podcasting platform, and I will see you next time.